Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today I am here visiting with Bethany Yarrow. Hi, Bethany. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? <laughs> doing well. Doing well. So happy to be here with you. And we're here in your home at the Waterfall House in central New York, yes. sitting by a very nice, warm, cozy fire. And it's just wonderful. Fireside chat is fireside. the best kind. <laughs> fireside chat. Yeah, so uh, let me uh, just share with our audience a little about you and your background. So Bethany Yarrow sings music of power and praise. She is a songkeeper, earth activist, and student of the spiritual traditions of the Americas. On stage, she is a mesmerizing dancing spirit with a soulful voice and a living prayer for unity at the heart of her music. Bethany has been involved in many social justice, environmental justice, and human rights issues throughout her life. In her role as a musician activist, she often finds herself in the streets playing at demonstrations, rallies, and concerts for change. Bethany has worked on native, non-native alliance building for over a decade, was one of the founding organizers of the Black Hills Unity Concert, as well as the Waterfall Unity Alliance, which was formed to stop pipelines and fossil fuel infrastructure expansion in New York and to transition to earth-based models of community power. She is also a member of the advisory board of the Center for Earth Ethics at Union Theological Seminary. As the daughter of Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary, Bethany carries a legacy of music and activism across the generations. The first time she was arrested was with her dad in 1986 when she was 14 protesting apartheid and singing We Shall Overcome in front of the South African Embassy. Musically, Bethany is best known as one half of the dynamic duo Bethany and Rufus that she formed with groundbreaking cellist Rufus Cappadocia in 2001. Although Bethany put filmmaking aside many years ago, she revisited her cinematic roots to help with the filming of the feature documentary The Grandmother Speak for the Next Seven Generations, a film about the Council of the Thirteen Indigenous Grandmothers. So, Bethany, um, thanks for welcoming me to your home and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to dive in. We've got a lot to talk about and uh, I just, I can't help but, but asking, you know, you don't often introduce somebody by saying the first time she got arrested right. right so maybe you could share a little with us about that part of your your background and uh, the work you've been doing in terms of arrest arrest being an arrestable yeah being arrestable in terms of your activism um well you know i clearly grew up with a sense of um urgency around change human rights um enormous agency of, um, well, for my dad, I guess it was his ethical, cultural Jewish roots of tikkun olam, of, you know, it's, it's not up to me to change the whole world, but it's up to me to do my part yeah. in what I can do. So I've always been very aware of privilege mm -hmm. um, and the, how to use any measure of privilege that you can as a level lever for positive social change. 
um, and privilege really meaning all the gifts that you've been given. Mm. Um, you know, however you manifest those gifts in your life, but that we're really here to help make the world a better place and to leave it better than we found it. And um, a just deep caring and compassion around what goes on in, in the world and that we are all related. I mean, mm. that was always really a part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was active early on when I was in high school around the uh, anti-apartheid movement. And um, uh, Bishop Tutu had just gotten the Nobel Peace Prize. And so we were all down in Washington, D.C. And there was a big rally. And then uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary were all going to go get arrested. Mm. Um, and I, re- I begged my dad. I said, please, I want to get arrested with you, Dad. <laughs> and, uh, and he jokes about it. And he says, you know, his, his mom was a school teacher for 30 years in New York City public schools. And... So he was like, no, you can't miss two days of school. I mean, that was, you know, much. But I begged him. Anyway, he let me get arrested with him. And so that was the first time where I, the sense of civil disobedience and putting yourself on the line. Um, That is a part, very much a part of social change and very much a part of what people are doing, you know, right now in terms of massive civil disobedience I'm all over the world right now. Um, But here in the United States, uh, you know, around the protests of immigration, um, the climate change, the kids, Extinction Rebellion, um, you know, but country after country after country right now, people are starting to stand up and find a collective voice of power and say these systems no longer serve us and are destroying the planet, are destroying our cultures, are destroying what we have left that's good and we need to change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, I know you were very involved with the uh, the youth and indigenous climate march that took place in New York in uh, September of uh, 2019. And um, in fact, that's how we met, which was beautiful right around that time. Um, and I know that you're also working with a number of uh, indigenous Which was the Fridays for Future yeah. march, because in September of 2014, you know, was the big climate march and mobilization where there were 400,000 yeah. people in the streets. Yeah. Um, this one was uh, September 20th, yeah. um, and it was really led by the children, by the Fridays for Future coalition um, and many other you know, allied groups, um, Zero Hour, and um, then there, are, there are a lot of them. Um, so that was when Greta Thunberg, you know, came and helped lead that march. That's yeah. That's when we met. That's right. That's when we met. There, there are many key September climate marches in my world. So the, yeah, just keeping, you know, keeping be, the being se- clear sequence. Yeah. yeah, well, well articulated. That's beautiful. And um, at around that same time, we had the opportunity to come together at Union Theological Seminary for a very special event related to water and healing. And uh, this included, uh, of course, the Center for Earth Ethics and the Eco Peace Middle East leaders. Mm-hmm. And uh, t- could you tell us a little about what, what happened there at that gathering and, and why was that important? Um. 
Well, I kind of feel like at that gathering, many different lines came together for mm -hmm. me personally. Um, I've been a, a water activist and really have been standing behind the prayer of the water um, for about uh, 10 years now. Um, and, um, and of course, I have my Jewish ancestry. Mm -hmm. um, from my father's side, and I have my Irish, Swedish, Norwegian, German, Catholic, Lutheran ancestry from my mother's side. She's from Minnesota. Um, and then it's the alliance work that I've been working on for a long time between Native and non-Native uh, communities um, around uh, reparations, social justice, environmental justice, climate issues. Um, so Chief Perry was there, Dwayne Perry of the Ramapo Lenape Nation, um, which are the original people of New York City. Yeah. So, and I have been working with the Ramapo um, ever since 2016, when we formed a, a solidarity protest camp with uh, Standing Rock at the time, yeah. and also to protest the AIM pipeline, the Algonquin pipeline that uh, was a gas pipeline that now passes right uh, on, within 100 feet of the Indian Point, Indian Point nuclear power plant right outside mm. of New York City. Mm. So just kind of protesting the insanity of what these pipelines are, the location, the destructive, extremely destructive nature of them. Mm -hmm. um, so it was all of these different people coming together and there was water from the Jordan River that they had brought, uh, and water from the Hudson River that was uh, brought and mixed together, and a prayer was said. Um, but you know, the Jordan River. My dad wrote a song called "The River of Jordan." Yeah. Uh, you know, this mythical, biblical river of Jordan. These baptismal waters. These, you know, waters of spirit. And I think a lot of people don't know that the Jordan River is now polluted and drying up, that the Sea of Galilee is now drying up, that the water is disappearing from the region and what water is left in one of the driest areas of the world um, is contaminated and polluted. So in the ways that I've been taught um, and in ways that I believe you know, water is really a living being and it has a spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's a very powerful spirit of healing and of life, literally. Mm -hmm. um, our, we know we're made of water, mm -hmm. our bodies are part of the water. The moon affects our bodies like it affects the tides of the water. We're very much a part of this living spirit of water. And so bringing these waters together, making a prayer for unity, making a prayer for coming together, making a prayer for our earth, for of these different lines, um, indigenous, earth-based lines, Jewish lines, uh, Christ, you know, based lines. Um, for me, really, that's the key to, um, to healing right now. Yeah. My brother always says to me, we're the generation here to heal. Oh, I love this. And that is our role. So with all of the lines that are in me, and then all of the alliances that I've been working 
um, on for so long. This is our time, not just to work side by side, yeah. but to really join hands, understand that we are all related, that we are all indigenous to this earth in yeah. some way, yeah. and to return to understanding, honoring, respecting, and restoring the earth who is, you know, the mother of us all, and the water who gives us life. Yeah. So that was kind of the context of that, um, mm -hmm. the prayer, the song, and what was being done um, at Union Theological Seminary with the yeah. Center for Earth Ethics. Yeah, it was such a magical, beautiful gathering ceremony, and then walking for I don't know how many blocks to get down to the Hudson River where the water was poured in mm -hmm. uh, from the Jordan that had been uh, mixed into the ceremonial vessel. And uh, I think as a treat for our audience, we'll probably be able to add at the end of our conversation here uh, a few minutes of you singing, Bethany, at the, at the ceremony. And I'll admit I was uh, just holding the camera on my phone by hand, so it's a little shaky, but you'll get a sense of the uh, audio and, and some of the beautiful echoes in the chapel where we were and uh, get a, hopefully a, a feel for some of the the beauty and the love and the healing energy that was activated and enlivened there uh, that day. And to have those folks from uh, Eco Peace Middle East, from Jordan, from Palestine, and from Israel all coming together was also just, just a tremendous moment and gesture of what we humans are capable of when we're leading with love. Yeah, and the way that they work also um, at least as I understand it, I know very little about eco-peace Middle East except for that gathering, but what they were talking about, which was very moving for me, was using the water as a bridge between cultures. Mm. So uh, Jordanians, Israelis, Palestinians, you know, all of them are all relying on this water. So how can we use this e ecological necessity uh, as a way of coming together. I mean, kind of like the, what I'm, you know, we, we'll get to this, but yeah, as no, a segue I was just about to, I was just to, about to seg that the, way. <laughs> the work that we're doing up here, yeah. I mean, I am clearly, you know, pretty far left in, in a lot of the ways that I think and conceive uh, pretty solidly not in line with the neoliberal, you know, model, mm. with our economic models, um, you know, um, not necessarily at all supportive of our governmental structures as they're, you know, been being revealed right now in terms of the corruption and mm. the corporate reality. Um, I, I just find it incredibly destructive, the consumerism, the way, so, mm -hmm. so much. Um, and where I live here is in a very rural community. Yes. Um, that is a very Republican, red, uh, Trump-supporting area. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people talk about the Deep South. This is kind of like a, a version of like the Deep North mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and... I've never felt so hopeful here mm -hmm. about building alliances, finding common ground, finding ways to talk. Because most of the people up here are in the forests, are 100% understand the earth 
and have a deep respect for Mother Nature, um, have a deep respect for the spirits of the forest and the animals, you know, and it's not the people who are really from here, a lot of them have Mohawk ancestry. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, you know, they, they really are very much connected to the land and really want to preserve the wildlife, the water, the trees, the forests. It's not an exploitative mindset. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I've found that there's, and, and, they, and there are a lot of farmers who really recognize that, you know, they look at what just happened in the Midwest to the farms there and the floods that are happening. They understand the seasons are changing, that the climate is changing. Even at the same time as there's a lot of climate denial around uh, causation or, you know, the root causes, or there is definitely an understanding of this is happening. Mm. So how do we come together now mm. with whatever tools we have um, to solve problems and to build community yeah I mean that's where we are and there's been an incredible amount of just welcoming a lot of dialogue a lot of uh, let's roll up our sleeves and and make this happen and let's vision a different way of living together you know every I think everyone up here really recognize that government as it is is not working Mm -hmm. and we have many different reasons why we think that and my reasons might be very different Mm. You know, and, and solutions also might seem to be very different. But if you can come up with a really different vision of how to live together and protect the land, everybody's coming on board in a in a beautiful way that's not partisan and is really healing divides. Yeah. Well it's absolutely beautiful. I you know, I've had the opportunity to spend several days here with you at this amazing place and home that you call the waterfall house which is perched on up above a waterfall. And yes, there is some very special, beautiful water flowing right through here. Um, and this is the place where the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project is launching now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's just a, an utter joy to see what's happening here and how you are sharing your gifts and resources to help this whole thing uh, sprout and come alive right here in these ancestral lands of the Mohawk people. And I'm wondering if you might share a little with our audience about what Waterfall House means to you and symbolizes and what's what's happening with the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project. That's such a big question. (laughs) Um, Well, this is, I'm I'm for the most part born and raised in New York City. Mm -hmm. So, I came up here about 20 years ago, and as much as I found the waterfall, the waterfall found me, you know. Um, And in buying this land and this property and starting to caretake for this waterfall, uh, my own life began to change. Uh, And there were many things in my life that changed Mm -hmm. around that time. Um, but it was the first time that I really connected to the land, uh, and, and started caretaking and there was something larger than myself that was at work. There's a, uh, definitely a spirit here that you're as much, uh, you know, in service to, um, as anything else. Um, so they call this waterfall, the original name of it is something like 
Ganuragara or something like that. Um, but even the Mohawks that I've spoken to, it's like a bad translation from the 1700s of what the old Mohawk was. So mm -hmm. there's been a bit of uh, delving into what the meaning might be. Mm. Um, and one of the meanings that one of the elders up from Akwasasani said is uh, that it's like the one you can hear, the mm. one that talks loudly. So you can definitely hear it from yeah. most places on the property, but it also talks very loudly to people and ha like gives people instructions. And I've seen people, you know, go through an incredible transformation because it's still a wild river and the forests are still wild. And so there's something of like returning to your human beingness that mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. And they say that uh, trauma, uh, one of the definitions of trauma, is the are the places where of disconnection, mm -hmm. you know, where you really mm -hmm. disconnect. And I understand, in especially in terms of the way that we live in the world right now, yeah. and the world is really a place designed right now for disconnection, mm -hmm. for atomization, for you know, walking around like this. There's we live in a space of disconnection for mm -hmm. the most part in America here, you know, many places of the world, the so-called you know civilized first world is also a place of this kind of trauma of disconnection mm -hmm. from your roots, from the land, from family, from... So, and the way to heal trauma is through connection. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've just seen people go through these incredible processes of healing here. Um, and one of the most profound processes of healing that I've seen is working with different uh, Mohawk relatives as they come back to this land, mm -hmm. which are their ancestral lands, where many of them have not been here. It's always been this story, you know, that they've heard of, of oh, how things were before, the mm -hmm. lands that were taken from us. And to come back to the land, to come back to the waterfall, to come back um, and be welcomed and to feel again like the land is welcoming them back. Mm -hmm. um, there's an enormous amount of healing in that um, and an acknowledgement that even the trauma happened, that there mm -hmm. is an original wound all over Turtle Island, all mm -hmm. over this continent, this mm -hmm. country, um, that for so long has just been unacknowledged. You know, the whole campaign of indigenous people of Native Americans of we are still here. You know, we are not your mascot. We are not a Halloween costume. This is not something that happened before. This is still happening. The destruction, the trail of tears, the decimation of culture. This is happening right now. It's happening that, you know, uranium poisoning in the Black Hills where they're doing uranium mining and all over the reservations there are people with cancer, uranium, the life expectancy on Pine Ridge, an adult male is 48 years old. Mm -hmm. Cancer, diabetes, all through the roof. Up in Akwesasne, uh, Mohawk Reserve, it's the largest PCB dump in America. Cancer, diabetes, child cancer rates through the roof. The Ramapo Ford Motor Company dumped all their uh, lead paint into their water supply. They've lost a third of their population in Ringwood. I mean, this is all still happening. It's like a different version of the smallpox blankets. Yeah. 
um, that are these, you know, gifts to the community, you know, mm. of, of the legacy that us, the settlers, and our consumer ways and our mindset have been a disease mm -hmm. that have really infected um, and destroyed communities and continues to do that. So within the conversation of um, reparation and what is possible and how can we envision a different future, you know, and, and also privilege and all of these things, you know, I look around at what I've lived my whole life, my education that I've had, you know, I really say, if I can't do this with everything I have here, mm -hmm. then who is going to? If, if I'm not going to be the one to kind of stand up, make mistakes along the way, you know, really see what is possible in terms of making relations, uh, helping to manifest a different uh, community, helping to bring people together in this way, giving what I have, the excess that I don't need, mm -hmm. that, you know, what is it to really live simply so that mm -hmm. others can simply live? What mm -hmm. is that? How do you actually live that motto? And that doesn't just mean, you know, buying one less iPhone. You right. know, there's... And I was just actually at the Carter Center talking to people then. And it was a... Uh, donors, you know. Uh, there are a lot of people who donate to the Carter Center and all the wonderful work that the Carter Center, Jimmy Carter's organization, is doing. And I... And it was also on the eve of the Fridays for Future strikes where all of the kids were standing up and my daughter's one of the strikers as well mm -hmm. she's been striking since march um but i really said the most the most selfish thing you can do right now you know if you really want to protect your your livelihoods your children and your grandchildren the most selfish thing you can do is to be generous mm -hmm. the most selfish thing you can do is to give everything you have mm -hmm. because the only way we're going to protect our future is if we start sharing resources mm -hmm. You're just stupid if you don't. Mm -hmm. You all are educated mm -hmm. enough mm -hmm. to know this. So it's not, um, we don't have a choice anymore. And I think it's really up to people to really say, how can we do this? It's really up to us. If not us, who? And if not now, then when? Mm -hmm. We're out of time. And I really believe that we are the people who are here now at this moment in transition it's just us. It's, mm -hmm. There's nobody else coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're at a pivotal time of change. I love this. Well, it's just us and we're in it together. That's all we got. <laughs> it's just you and me and, you know, and on all of our relations and all the yeah. people coming together. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's right. not easy to forge a new way. Right. It's not easy to manifest a new vision. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to have the humility and the courage to make mistakes yeah. also. Um, and we're going to make mistakes. And then so how do you have the grace to, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. forgive and keep moving and, um, and be able to shift course and change and take the best. And so those are our challenges right now. And it's not... Uh, it, it's not an easy one. This is really, we're, it's the survival of the planet, of the species, of everything we know and love. Um, I mean, and I, I can also, because you had asked about the significance of the waterfall. So mm. in 2013, 
uh, I went to visit, they're known to the outside world as the Kogi. Mm -hmm. um, but they're really the four tribes of the Sierras in Colombia. Mm -hmm. The Kogi, Kankwamo, Wiwa, and Arhuaco are the four tribes. But oh, the Kogi are kind of the most famous. So, um, And the Kogi are these priests. Uh, they were, uh, the four tribes were uncontacted. And uh, they went, they were uncontacted when the Incas came, they started to move up the mountains. So when the conquistadores came, they were already up and they were, kept their original ways. Mm -hmm. um, so they live on top of the mountains in Colombia. In 1979, they started coming down from the mountains with a message that the little brother, as they describe all the non-native people, um, is little brother's destroying the earth and needs mm -hmm. to stop. Mm -hmm. And the Kogis, they live in caves for 18 years. They're the guardians of the night. They never see the light of day. They're priests. They're high priests, mm -hmm. not all of them. But they're the ones who are divined, who are going to be the priests. And they learn to see the world without ever having seen it. They learn to talk directly with the mother. Um, and so it's kind of a training as seers. Um, and they're really known by many people as like some of the spiritual heavyweights on the planet. They really mm -hmm. have some real info. Um, and they spoke to us when we went there about the importance of sacred sites mm. was their main message at the time. Um, and that sacred sites were more than just like a cultural curiosity of having respect or, you know, for the things that people can think of as sacred or, you know, it's kind of patronizing, oh, it's their sacred site. Um, the, the ways that they explain the sacred sites and what sacred sites are is there are actually beings that live in, in these sacred sites mm -hmm. um, and that have been fed or activated with ceremonies of the original people over the millennia, millennia, millennia of existence. And just like a country has a, a government, the world also has spiritual governors. Mm -hmm. And the, these spiritual governors live at these sacred sites, and it's, they communicate. Um, and they kind of hold the spiritual fabric of the world together mm -hmm. in their communication. Mm -hmm. But as the sacred sites are destroyed, and as the people who hold the ceremonies and the original people and their ways are assimilated and destroyed, uh, there's no longer that same kind of communication isn't possible. Mm -hmm. And in the destruction of the sacred sites and of the peoples who hold them, um, the world has gone out of balance. And as we are made of earth, and as we are a mirror, you know, we are earth, earth is, uh, we're all made of the same thing. We can't rebalance. Humans can't rebalance. We're, and it, we're all interdependent. So at this time of extreme change in, and uh, the impossibility of the science, you know, mm. that we're looking at in terms of climate change and what's happening, um, they're actually saying we really need some divine intervention. We mm. need some real help from mm. the spiritual realm and we need some help from the earth herself. Yeah. And the only way that the earth herself can help is if we start 
uh, protecting these sacred sites, restoring these sacred sites to the original people so that the ceremonies can be performed and so that they can be fed and so that in nourishing the earth and helping rebalance, then we can be nourished and uh, rebalanced. Um, Which is, you know, one of the reasons, for example, that Mauna Kea, the whole Mauna Kea movement in Hawaii, where they're saying no more telescope, this one goes too far, it's too much, and you're destroying a pristine uh, uh, pristine plateau, and it's just the mountain is saying no. Their information comes from the mountain. It's not anti-science, it's Mm -hmm. just too much. Mm -hmm. And science and spirituality and indigenous rights shouldn't be in conflict. There are many natives who believe very strongly in the science of climate change Mm -hmm. and the science of... There are two disciplines. There's like a technological science that Eastern um, um, European uh, cultures have become very advanced. There's also a spiritual science Mm -hmm. that has been around for a long, long, long time before Galileo ever Mm -hmm. looked into a telescope. So, and they're they're of equal importance. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem in our society is the devaluation of Earth's, of Earth-based science, knowledge. Because that's some indigenous science. I mean, people know what they're talking about and they have access to the places where we have been disconnected, Mm -hmm. you know. And... um, so part, you know, part of Mauna Kea is to protect these sacred sites, to protect this communication, to protect these kind of acupuncture points mm-hmm. of the earth so that we can start to heal. Yeah. Um, and in all of the work that I've been doing over the past 10 years, seven years with, with the Waterfall Unity Alliance, stopping pipelines here, you know, all of this, we get into that. But there's definitely been just a realist, just when you see people at the waterfall, mm. when you see what happens, it's definitely a sacred site. I mean, everywhere sacred, every mountain, every tree, every forest, they're all sacred sites. Some places are, you know, really overwhelm you with the energy and the power there. And so I've seen that happen. Um, and so after I came down and was, uh, and was visiting with the tribes in the four tribes of the Sierras in Colombia. You know, they came actually and visited here on their way to visit the Mohawks. And the Mohawks are known as the guardians of the Eastern Gate. So that's their place and, and the kind of point that they hold, that every tribe is kind of put on a, the part of the earth to guard a different point. You know, mm-hmm. like the Lakota, you know, they have the heart of everything that is in the Black Hills or the, the, in the Kyogis are the heart of the world and the guardians of night. And, you know, there's, so there are all these different kind of guardian points. The Ramapo are the keepers of the pass, which was actually a pass that goes into the continent and um, the sweet water protectors are there. Mm. So that everyone has kind of what they do and the Mohawk are the people of the Flint um, and this is Mohawk territory. And so it sensitized me and kind of made this a very urgent thing where it wasn't no longer kind of on the back burner that to contact different Mohawk relations and and start to really talk about what to do with this land, how to hold the energies here. 
um, what to do with a waterfall. Is there a way to return the waterfall to the Mohawk mm-hmm. people? Which people? Which, you know, mm-hmm. how... So it, it, it opened up a whole series of questions for me. Um, if these people these, who are so respected are saying one of the most important things we can do um, in terms of an activist mm-hmm. place of mm-hmm. helping to save humanity and life on earth as we know it is to return sacred sites to the original people. Again, if not me, then who? Mm-hmm. You know, I've got this thing in my backyard that I've been living with, with for 20 years that I have a very direct and personal connection and understanding of what a sacred site is, how it gets fed, how it gets honored, how it transforms people and what the energies are. So if I can't find a way to share, to return, to caretake in partnership, then who mm-hmm. is going to be able to do this? Mm-hmm. So that began a journey, you know, that was 2013, so again, we're seven years later, mm-hmm. um, which led me to, uh, through different doorways, contacting people in Akwesasne and then coming back down here and and really praying making prayers together, um, welcoming them back, doing certain ceremonies on the land, Mm -hmm. um, and really starting deep conversations about what to do with the land. And then in the middle of this whole story, the Constitution pipeline uh, reared its ugly head. Mm -hmm. And the Constitution pipeline was a frack gas pipeline that they wanted to run from Pennsylvania through upper New York um, with compressor stations along the way. And uh, it had already been completely approved by the FERC, by the feds. It had already passed through several hurdles, but it was going to cross uh, so many rivers, Mm. so many streams, so many aquifers. You know, the possibilities of contamination, the the reality that they were just starting to study of not just the fracking sites and the fracking wells and the contamination of the toluene and the benzene and the air quality and the nosebleeds and the brain lesions and all of the things that would happen to children and adults next to the fracking wells, but also the compressor stations mm-hmm. had the same off-gassing uh, uh, you know, effects, um, a, a huge release of methane and toxic chemicals. It creates acid rain, formaldehyde in the rivers. And this, I mean, and all we have up here is water. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are in upstate New York so blessed with mm-hmm. abundance of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the aquifer for New York City, you mm-hmm. know, so all of these. Mm-hmm. M- tens of millions of people and all of the aquifers are all up connected up here they they even did a study they put because they wanted to do some drilling for um uh a quarry a rock quarry up mm. here so they put some dyes in and they showed how all of it is connected mm. and the mm-hmm. dyes traveled mm-hmm. all over gilboa dam and it all connects up mm. it all goes to new york mm. so w- what do you do when there's a pipeline coming to your backyard and, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of accusations hurled against about NIMBY, not in my backyard right. kind of That's, stuff. Yeah, this is the time when NIMBY might make a lot of sense. 
in my world, <clears throat> I've been wanting to take NIMBY back because, mm -hmm. like, if it if it comes to your backyard mm -hmm. again, if you don't stand, yeah, who's gonna stand? Mm -hmm. Like, hell no, not in my backyard. Mm -hmm. The only reason the Lakota stood in Standing Rock mm -hmm. was because it went through Ladonna's backyard mm -hmm. and she said not in my backyard i have to stand for something mm -hmm. i mean i made a film in south africa mm -hmm. under apartheid mm -hmm. with these women black women in the townships around cape town who lived and worked as nannies and maids and you know did that work and were very afraid to talk about activism and were never active mm. until their next door neighbor was shot yeah. and they said no now we have to be active yeah. so what's happening to people now is it's coming to everybody's backyard mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. all our backyard. And when it comes to your backyard, you better stand up. And if yeah. everybody said, "Not hell no, not in my backyard, we'd be in a very different situation hmm. right now. I love this. So, so it was, it like, me toca. You know, it was my turn, you mm -hmm. know, to really stand. And, and this was pre-Standing Rock. This mm -hmm. was 2015. Um, and so I'd been doing this work with, different Mohawks who relations who had been coming down and all of a sudden now we were had this shared vision of the return to the valley although they were living four hours north and the question is okay this is your ancestral land but now your grandchildren's placenta is buried in the land at what point is this la your land now is it the hmm. unborn children's land hmm. what are you standing to protect do you have a responsibility to protect this land now, hmm. you know, even though it's not where your physical home is. Um, so where does responsibility, now what is your backyard? Is this mm -hmm. now your backyard mm -hmm. too? You know, where do we share that? And we had very real conversations, deep conversations about that because mm -hmm. it's no joke to start to farm resistance and plan for resistance camps. Um, and they decided that they would come down and they mm -hmm. would stand. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, there was another pipeline because once the Constitution pipeline was approved, there was another pipeline because they tend to stack the pipeline in a pipeline route. So there was mm -hmm. the Northeast Direct Pipeline, the NED pipeline. So they were having an open house, you know, because they wanted to stack on top of the um, Constitution. And so they booked a local hotel and we booked the Iroquois room mm. in the local mm. hotel mm. and gave our own press conference mm -hmm. and the Mohawk came down um, and stood up and heard all of these people talking about eminent domain and how the property had been taken and around here you know people are very libertarian eminent yeah. domain does not go over well right. and um, and they stood up Roger Jock uh, stood up and he said I hear you we know a lot about eminent domain. Mm -hmm. Now you know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. We've lived this. Again, now it's your backyard. Now mm -hmm. this is happening to you. Mm -hmm. But we're here to stand with you. Because mm. we know what this is. And it's not right whenever it happens. And they pledged to really stand and fight. And so we were really preparing, again, pre-Standing Rock, to mm. kind of build Standing Rock, mm -hmm. a prayer camp in the path of the pipeline um, and really inspired by the KXL, you know, can a teepee stop a pipeline? Mm. Can a prayer stop a pipeline? Mm. Can we mm. do this with prayer mm -hmm. um, and with prayer in action? Yeah. 
praying is, you know, not turning your back, but really walking your prayer, grounding in your prayer, um, and moving from that place mm. of real, really shared commitment. And, um, but the prayer was not, and the goal was not to form a prayer camp mm -hmm. to stop a pipeline. It was really that the pipeline never be built and to stop the pipeline so that we didn't have to do that because yeah. I really did not want to spend a March winter in yeah. a teepee protesting yeah. it. It not, was not what I wanted to do. Right. And so we really stood behind the prayer of the water and really made deep prayers um, to the water. And the one certificate that held up that pipeline was the water quality certificate, mm. the 401 water quality certificate. Mm. Um, under the Clean Water Act that the state of New York can determine, states can determine if something will have an impact on the water, they have the right to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And so at the last minute, in the pipeline, it was, they were sure hmm. they were going to go through. Hmm. They had already shipped the pipes to Albany, wow. fabricated them. In Pennsylvania, hmm. which is, you know, frack me up, frack me down state, mm -hmm. I mean, really destroyed the water of Pennsylvania hmm. in the shale fields. Um, they had already clear cut uh, uh, maple syrup farm. Hmm. These 200, 300 year old trees, had, the Hollerens farm had already been clear cut with, you know, they came in with, you know, AK-47s and, hmm. and heavily armed to clear hmm. the people from the land to cut down these trees in the middle of sap season. Hmm. Which, of course, for the Mohawk, that's the first medicine. Yeah. That's the first gift, or the gift of the trees. Um, so when, in April, New York uh, stopped the pipeline and rejected the water quality certificate, I mean, didn't grant the water quality certificate, it was the first pipeline federally approved that had ever been stopped by a state. Mm. Wow. So it was a major victory, yeah. and it wasn't just our victory. There were mm -hmm. many people working against the Constitution pipeline, um, but it was a huge victory and really also showed the way of what can happen when the states stand up to the federal yeah. government, what can happen when people come together in this alliance. Yeah. And so we kept Cuomo band fracking. We stopped, he stopped many pipelines now. The Constitution Pipeline was the first one with the water quality certificate. Mm. And that's one of the reasons that Trump is trying to undermine and take away the rights of the states yeah. um, under Clean Water Act. This is where states' rights are so vital uh, in protecting different regions. Let, mm -hmm. me, let me just uh, remind our audience uh, that this is the Why on Earth Community Stewardship <laughs> and Sustainability <laughs> podcast series. And I'm sitting here in the Waterfall House with Bethany Yarrow in central New York, the Skohari Valley of New York, uh, the ancestral homelands of the Mohawk people. And uh, we are discussing uh, so many different aspects of the work that Bethany is doing here and um, I want to be sure to give a quick shout out to the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project, and um, which is what's being uh, launched birthed. here now, birthed. Um, and folks can support Three Sisters by going to threesistersproject.org. And um, we'll also include 
uh, our uh, GoFundMe crowdfunding uh, information in the show notes for folks, but you'll be able to get there from the website. And if you want to connect with Bethany uh, through Facebook, you can go to Bethany Yarrow, find her that way. Um, and we did mention early on the music, and uh, to hear uh, some of Bethany's music, you can go to bethanyandrufus.com. Um, and of course, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors and supporters uh, making this podcast series possible, as well as all of our community mobilization work uh, that we're doing in, in places, communities all over. Um, and this includes Patagonia, the Lidge Family Foundation, Purium, Beauty Counter, Waylay Waters, and Earth Coast Productions. A huge thanks to you all uh, for your support. And of course, uh, a major thanks to uh, the many friends and folks out there who have joined our monthly giving program. Uh, if you haven't yet joined, you can go to whyonearth.org and click on the donate button and uh, choose any amount that works for you uh, to give on a monthly basis. And when you do that, I'll send you an email with a very special code to unlock all of the ebook and audiobook resources for free. So that's a, a small token of appreciation. You can share that code with friends and family if you would like. And um, I, I want to really encourage all of the Why on Earth community audience to check out the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project and to support that project as well. It is uh, such important work that's happening here. It's important for this place and region and it is symbolically uh, critical, essential for our whole society. Uh, and we'll over time share more, I think, uh, about why that is and what some of the backstory there is um, it, because it's something I, I hope many thousands of us will come to understand very quickly. And I want to uh, I want to be sure to ask you, Bethany, about the 13 grandmothers and what what is that all about as it relates to this work that you're doing here and uh, that you helped to make a film about mm -hmm. them and about what they're up to? Uh, well, the Council of the 13 Indigenous Grandmothers uh, was formed in 2004. Uh, and it was uh, called by uh, a woman by the name of Jyoti, who had a vision uh, that it was time for the grandmothers to speak and the grandmother's wisdom to be heard. Um, and so she contacted different people uh, that she knew through relations. Most things are done um, through the doorway of relations. Um, so it was just, who knows this person and that person. It was really just these indigenous women, um, all uh, holders of earth-based ways of prayer, who came together um, at Menla, uh, which is the retreat center of Tibet House in Phoenicia, New York, um, along with, I think, Gloria Steinem was there, and Alice Walker was there, and uh, Helena Norberg. There were some just some really mm. amazing uh, human beings who were there to support. Um, and at this gathering, the there were 13 women who came, 13 grandmothers who came, and they formed uh, the Council of the 13 Indigenous Grandmothers mm. um, and ended up traveling the world and really became a movement where they went to activate people um, to pray for the water, uh, to listen to the voice of the grandmothers, 
to listen to the voice of women. You know, it was very much before Me Too, very much mm -hmm. before, you know, the grandmothers at Standing Rock, very mm -hmm. much before. It was really this, the beginning of this consciousness um, that it was time for the larger world to listen to the traditional wisdom of these uh, of these women, mm. of these indigenous women, and that it was really the women, and it was time for the female voice and the mm -hmm. female power to be lifted up mm -hmm. um, in a different way, mm -hmm. and to guide, really. Um, mm -hmm. And all of these women carried prophecies around 13 women, 13 grandmothers. There was one Alaskan grandmother, Yupik, um, who uh, came with 13 stones mm -hmm. that her grandmother had given her for the time when she would be meeting with the 13 grandmothers. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was all of these crazy... I mean, I was there filming as mm -hmm. she was telling this story, and it was just, you know... Mm -hmm. Things like this would happen with them, you know, and definitely when you start moving in these ways and with these kinds of women and these kinds of people, you're kind of moving and your life is dictated all of a sudden by the principles of magic, you know, yeah. which is um, which is all around you. I mean, watching a flower bloom is magic in yeah. the right time. It's all magic. So things start to become part of a larger pattern and mm -hmm. prophecy is... Uh, you're living inside of it, and it becomes a very real thing. Of um, so, that's a good feeling, huh? That's a good. It <laughs> well, it's a good feeling, but it takes for someone again who didn't grow up in mm. that. It takes a lot of release, a lot of mm. trust, a lot of faith, and a lot of surrender, mm -hmm. and a lot of shutting off your mind and your judgment, mm. and and recognizing certain things is true. Mm. I mean, Jyoti calls it, you know, the mind robbers come and mm. you start to overthink and then you are doubting what you're experiencing because you just go, this can't be true, you know, mm. this can't, but it's all happening. And mm. so part of it is to really also live going on faith and really mm. with surrender, which is what the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project mm -hmm. has been mm -hmm. um, and what it's required on everybody's part. Um, and so the work that I did with the grandmothers and the wisdom that I received from the grandmothers was really what opened the door to a larger understanding and ability to, um, you know, have these kinds of dialogues and yeah. alliance building and and opening and really understanding what it means to make relations mm -hmm. um, and what it is to be in service yeah. to a prayer that's larger than oneself mm -hmm. um, so it opened the doorway to all of these things and it was through the 13 grandmothers and some of the people there that you know I met Mohawks and so it's all connected mm. um, in that way mm -hmm. um, and the so once we stopped the pipeline yeah so the the it wasn't the the prayer and the goal of coming together was to stop the pipeline, but it wasn't just to stop the pipeline. Right. We were standing together to stop the pipeline so that we could protect this land together mm -hmm. for the future generations, both Mohawk and non-Mohawk, yeah. which meant Beautiful. opening a doorway for the return 
of the people of the Flint, of the yeah. Yankahaga, yeah. Um, which meant doing some very deep alliance work throughout the valley, mm -hmm. you know, and really talking to local leaders, talking to local people, um, so that we can return to this place where there is original wound, yeah. where there is original trauma. And, and you study, you study trauma, you know, mm -hmm. there's a great intergenerational trauma is now a huge field of study mm -hmm. um, in psychology and there's a lot of studies around trauma. So if there's a wound yeah. that hasn't been acknowledged, mm -hmm. if there is a trauma that's been hidden, if there is, if you're living inside of that, you're going to keep repeating that until mm -hmm. you heal it. Mm -hmm. So on these lands there is an original wound yeah. and our country was birthed from that original wound yeah. and we are living the consequences of that mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. um, and in many many ways and it's not like it's just a nice thing to do to go back and say I'm sorry although it mm. is a very good mm. nice moral ethical important thing to do mm. but we need to heal and yeah. so we need to acknowledge that that happened, acknowledge the wounds that happened, acknowledge the injustices, acknowledge that it still continues, mm -hmm. and find solutions. Yeah. So what can we do to repair? What does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. Reparations, repairing relations. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a gift not just to the Native people, but also to the non-Native people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shame yeah. that people feel they can't even read the history, it's too painful. Mm -hmm. you know, I hear that from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but that history is happening and mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to acknowledge it so mm -hmm. that we can move beyond it and move to a new way of living together. Yeah. Um, so out of this work of the Waterfall Unity Alliance, um, Roger Jock's daughter, Gomeniusta Jock, who mm -hmm. you interviewed, mm -hmm. um, came down here um, and nobody really knows what to expect. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of pushback that the Mohawks have gotten, and they've had to really fight to reclaim land. Mm. And people come here, and they just feel at home. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel at home. They feel mm -hmm. at home. There's a welcoming and an understanding. And um, and so Guniosta brought two of her friends down. Yeah. And this is a very living dream inside of the heart of the Ganyankahaga to return to these ancestral valleys. Yeah. And to have an open door to be able to manifest that dream um, has been a huge, you know, mm. joyful awakening yeah. of hope, yeah. you know. And again, yeah. you've spoken about this uh, with, with the Three Sisters. So mm -hmm. out of that, the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project was formed. Yeah with the dream of establishing a longhouse right across the street, an yeah. educational longhouse. Yeah. And the educational longhouse is right next door to the town governmental offices here. Mm -hmm. The town barn, the highway department, the justice, they're all, the records, they're all over there, the tax collector. And um, so they'll really be side by side, mm. the longhouse mm -hmm. and the town uh, governmental structures. And when we went with Roger to present about you know, we're going to do this and we're doing it next door. We're being good neighbors. We just like to let you know. They were so excited. Mm. They couldn't wait to dance in the longhouse. That was the opposite of what was expected yeah. of, you know, resistance, mm. you know. 
it was uh, uh, like a, a relief. Yeah. And people are looking for something yeah. to, you know, ground them again. There's so much disillusionment right now with mm -hmm. religion, with the church, mm. with, you know, the molestation of little boys and girls, with yeah. the, you know, with the ways that faith and people's deep spiritual understanding have been uh, polluted by sex, power, mm -hmm. corruption, mm -hmm. and the trust has been abused. What, whatever your uh, religious, spiritual yeah. uh, path is, right. you know, it happens in most of the world major religions. So, this sense of returning to original ways, mm. of returning to our connection to each other and to mm -hmm. the earth mm -hmm. and to God, you know, mm -hmm. in whatever that concept is for each and every one, um, I think is really a welcome relief mm. for people. Um, and so the response that we've gotten here has been incredibly enthusiastic. Yeah. And um, then the possibilities that it's open. So now different people are coming from mm -hmm. Akwesasne and from there and here, you know, different Mohawk folks. Uh, connecting with the water again, you know, with mm -hmm. pure water mm -hmm. and just the medicine of the water and like pff, releasing. Mm -hmm. There's just this sense of, re I mean, it's extraordinary to watch it mm -hmm. just, you know, just now and watching Guineos, this, you know, her family and yeah. her partner and, you know, just the healings that happen being yeah. on this land yeah. um, and the possibilities that opens up. Mm. So, and with the context, in the context of the climate crisis, yeah. sixth extinction, um, you know, m massive contamination of our water, yeah. uh, pollinator die off, yeah. uh, crops and soil destruction. So mm -hmm. there's no more mineral content in our food because we've destroyed the soil. So mm -hmm. we have food, but we're starving to death. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of. So what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. What are the solutions we're going to build and how are we going to do this? Yeah. So. Um, you know, if you look at the drawdown plan, right. you know, that Paul Hawken and the drawdown plan, they've come up with the top hundred solutions mm -hmm. for drawing down carbon from the atmosphere, not just yeah. stopping yeah. our emissions, but what are we going to do to reverse it? Yeah. And number 36, indigenous land management. Right. You know, number 10, uh, soil rebuilding and carbon sequestration right. in the soil. Mm -hmm. You know, so... How are we going to do this? So we have in this Schoharie Valley, which is the richest farmland east of the Mississippi, mm -hmm. they, they say, mm -hmm. and some of the best farmland in the world. If we can get environmental uh, protections, if we can get indigenous stewardship of the land, if we can do soil uh, rebuilding and yeah. carbon sequestration yeah. in the soil, if we can start to put together uh, forest and water and wildlife preserves by a regional preserve so that we're actually protecting the different species life on earth mm -hmm. so that it can't be destroyed we need certain places that are sanctuaries and mm -hmm. then build out from there so there's a large vision to the three sister sovereignty yeah. project yeah. but it's beautiful it really has to do with reclaiming our sovereign all of us yeah. our sovereign right to be yeah. human beings yeah. on planet earth it's absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful, Bethany, and I uh, am so struck that the, the tagline for Three Sisters is uh, energy sovereignty, food sovereignty, cultural sovereignty, mm -hmm. 
and it's something I think for each and every one of us to work on reclaiming as, as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. And uh, look, I, I know there's, we could talk for hours on this and we, we do. We could talk for a few more, <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I know we got to sign off in, in just a minute or two for, for this episode, but I, uh -huh. I also know that one of the things many of our friends in the Why on Earth community are very excited about is the connection to what's happening here and what's mm -hmm. happening with the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project and to have an opportunity to check in from time to time and share videos and updates with mm -hmm. folks as things get rolling through this winter and into the year 2020. And uh, so I know this is a first of several uh, conversations we'll be having. Uh -huh. So I just want to thank you uh, for all that you're doing and uh, to really honor and acknowledge the courage and the vision that you're holding and that you're cultivating okay. with all of this. It's tremendous to witness and I feel a, a deep gratitude knowing that you're here doing what you're doing here. Thank you very much. Thank you for all of your help, Erin. <laughs> you know, it's the answer, I think, for many of us, the answer to a prayer mm. and that we've all been making, holding, putting down, uh, you know, somehow it's woven us all together. Yeah. And like I say, the principles of magic are still strong. Yeah. So there, this has been, you know, incredible coincidences that, oh my God, I can't believe that <laughs> is really one of the phrases most often heard, you know, yeah. in making this happen. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you just keep holding and nurturing and holding and nurturing and building the soil. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Not the literal soil so much, but just the soil of human relations. Yes. Um, and so that's really been the key. Um, and now we've planted these seeds, mm. these seeds of sovereignty. Yes, absolutely and, beautiful. And it's and from so from moon time to moon time, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. um, they're being watered and they're growing and it's going very quickly. You know, now that they've been planted, it's like, oh my mm. God, now you're on a train that is, you know, you can't stop. Yeah. So may it continue and, you know, continue in a really good way yeah. and in a protected way and continue bringing uh, good relations and yeah. good understanding and open communication and healing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know. Mm. And, and. Help. We need support and help for the project for what's happening. Oh here. my God, we so It's really, help. really important that yeah. folks get this. And even if it's five bucks, that you can see if it's 500, if it's 5,000, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. But even whatever small gesture of gift you're able to make to support the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project, do it. Because this, this is such a strong symbolic statement of what's possible in our near future. And it sends ripples of uh, vibrations through the land, through the water, through all of our cultural connections and relationships. So I really encourage everybody to get involved. And Bethany, uh, but before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Um, well, I guess there was a certain point. I've been doing a lot of protesting mm -hmm. at the front lines. And at a certain point, I got really tired. That can really mm -hmm. wear you down. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm done protesting. I, I will be out on the front lines. <laughs> um, but it's important to manifest solutions as well. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be 
in a, a state of mind of protest and then also building mm. solutions. There's one, mm. there's just not enough time mm. all the time. Mm. And so, I mean, my deep gratitude to all the protectors who continue on the front line mm -hmm. so many places and stopping all of these projects. And then there's a time to really take stock and to say, okay, now what can I build for solutions? Mm -hmm. How are we mm -hmm. going to get through this? Because that is a, a big question mark. Yes. So, and to follow up on what you said, in order to kind of clear the path and cut the way and manifesting solutions, it does take resources. Yes. It takes physical resources, spiritual resources, and definitely takes financial resources. Yes. Yeah. So we're really at the prototype stage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of what these communities can look like and these um, collaborative communities um, mm. could look like. Mm -hmm. And so it really will take many people's support yep. um, and, and financial contributions. This can't, yeah. this can't be done without a collective effort. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, there's a, a, you know, it's very true that the land doesn't belong to us, we mm -hmm. belong to the land. Mm -hmm. And the land is something that is communally held. Yeah. So if we can communally hold this land, mm -hmm. and it's a larger project of the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project to start buying up land, start buying up farms, mm -hmm. start buying up and restoring the soil so that we have food security, to start mm -hmm. buying up the water so that Nestle can't come in and start buying up all of this unbelievable spring water that's mm. up here. Mm. So this is really resources um, and a vision for everybody. And it's th these are resources to be shared. Mm -hmm. um, so your support is not just a support for the three sisters. Mm -hmm. This is a support of food security, of water security, of of the creatures for all of the children and all of the unborn. So we really need that kind of collective understanding. Mm -hmm. That's the mindset we're moving towards. Yep. Um, and so we're really doing this for everybody and we hope everybody in whatever way you can be a part of it, this actually does belong to you, right? Yeah. This is something we really share yeah. and we are in that way all related. Um, we are all a part of the solution and we can all be a part of the solution mm. so just so just jump in jump in because yeah. we're all here to do it together so thank you absolutely beautiful thank you bethany thanks the why on earth community stewardship and sustainability podcast series is hosted by aaron william perry author thought leader and executive consultant the podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you to sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code whyonearth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.